Welcome to the Walk Worthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church, located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray that this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Pastor Brian Vautour, and today I, I have the privilege of interviewing the lead pastor of Hesper Baptist Church, Sean Sheeran. Hello. I'm not sure how many people want to listen to this, but here we are. Brian has talked me into it, and I didn't think very hard about it, and I agreed. So We tricked him in, in here good. But, uh, <laughs> Sean, I know that um, you know I'm, I'm newer to the church. Sure. Uh, many people from the church know your story, know your background. Uh, they saw you or they knew you when you came into Hesper Baptist Church, what I hear as a 17-year-old kid. Yep. Uh, and now, how old are you now? 35. 35. So now you're 35 years old, lead pastor of Hesper Baptist Church. and. Yep. And certainly the Lord has blessed Hespler over the past number of months and years, and it's continued to grow. So I thought there'd be, there would be some folks who, who don't know your story. And so we just want to take an opportunity to get to know you Thanks. a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think I forget sometimes that uh, because I've been around for a while, and a lot of people have been around for a while, that oh, everybody knows my story. No one cares. No one wants to hear it. No one. It's sort of old news. But uh, I forget, yeah, there's a lot of people who knew the church and... I've never heard it. So actually, my wife says sometimes, you should tell your story sometime. It would be helpful for people. So here we are. Very good. So we can we can probably detect a bit of an accent. Um, <laughs> not 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 terribly strong, but there's one there. So uh, what what accent is it, Sean? So it is uh, a remnant of a Scottish accent. So <laughs> that is where I was born and raised up and just until I just before I turned 16, I came to Canada. So. I'm Scottish, born and bred, but I've been over half my life now in Canada, and I'm thankful for that. Okay, so when you when you introduce yourself, are you do you still see yourself as Scottish, a Scottish Canadian, yeah, a Canadian? Scottish Canadian is probably how I think about myself because there were some pretty significant formative years there, and it's part of my heritage, my culture, one of my family. I'm sure that has a has had a shaping influence all my life. So Scottish Canadian is what I go. With. Okay, let's go back. I want to. I want to go back to your life in Scotland. Sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, a wee Scott, uh, <laughs> a wee Sean Sheeran. Uh, how, do you have siblings? I do. I have a sister who is uh, late twenties, so I'm a bit older than she is. And then I have a half brother, although I don't think of him as just a half brother. He's in his sort of mid early mid twenties. And then I have a sister who's much younger. She is 11. So another half-sister, again, don't think of her that way. So um, my brother and I have the same mom, different dad. My sister and I have the same uh, uh, dad, different mom. And then my older sister is the full sister. So. Okay, got you. So you're the, you're the oldest of four. Oldest of four, okay. although probably, like, you know, I, I didn't always live with my brother and sister. So... Although I have about three siblings, we've all probably had only child experiences okay. just because of the circumstances of our family. So I was older than my, my sister, and then I moved out after my parents divorced and lived with my dad, and she was with my mom, and then she did the same thing, and then my sister is much younger. So we've all had times when we've been the mm. only kid in the house, even though we've got siblings. So that's a little bit of a different dynamic. Okay. So... What's, what's it like growing up in Scotland? You're, you're a wee little guy. Uh, who are you hanging around with? Who are your sure. friends? So my dad has 11 siblings. So I have literally in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 cousins, first cousins. So a lot of my best friends growing up were my cousins. So actually my, my best friend really was my cousin also named Sean. So that was not a little confusing. Um, and his sister Michelle. And so I would spend a lot of time with my cousins. And so those are probably the people that I miss the most from living in Canada. And so, yeah, we would, uh, we would spend a lot of time kicking a ball around, playing football or soccer. If it was raining or not raining, it didn't really matter. Uh, video games, sometimes getting into mischief. Um, nothing, you know, crazy bad, but certainly some mischief. And, uh, yeah, a lot of time spent out playing and with each other at each other's houses. Uh, some school friends as well, so probably not that different from 
kids grow up with you. So. Okay. Did you find, um, I mean, you have kids now. Yeah. Do you find, uh, were kids a little more tough back then when you were growing up in Scotland? Like, did, do you remember getting into fights? Like, were you and your cousins, yes. um, the gang around town or, or were people picking on you? Um, you know, were people picking on you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. So it definitely much tougher than here. Like, I don't know if it's um, the different culture or if the bullying, like the anti-bullying has actually made headway in schools, but school is pretty, like a pretty like tough place. And uh, certainly in high school, when I was in high school, there were different groups of people from different places and they would often fight against one another. And so, yeah, that was, that was kind of a big thing. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely have been in my, a handful of fights, got into a handful of fights. I didn't get into a lot because I had one of my cousins had a pretty notorious reputation and everyone knew who he was and I had the same last name as he did. Mm. So I got left alone pretty much, pretty well because of who he was. So, and I, in high school, I had some friends who were pretty tough guys too. So, you know, if they mess with me, they mess with them and vice versa. So yeah, I, I didn't get into too much, but, uh, it's cause it was kind of people around me that prevented that so that was the kind of environment though it was a pretty rough environment and you had to be able to you know know how to watch your back and be careful about the places you went and the people you were with the soccer jerseys that you wore hmm. at certain times in certain places uh you couldn't go out in certain colors into certain parts of the town um because of you know there would be violence associated with that so yeah there's some some pretty rough moments for sure catholic protestant was a thing so i was raised catholic Went to a Catholic school, the Catholic Protestant schools. There would be fights between the schools of the kids. And uh, so that sort of sectarianism is something that I would have experienced in part. Um, and so I think that's a really foreign concept mm -hmm. to this part of the world in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's kind of difficult to explain that. So, so how would you know, um, you know, there, there's, there's some fights between Catholics and Protestants. Mm -hmm. How would you know who was Catholic, who was Protestant? Um, Obviously, you, you. How big was the town you grew up in? Yeah, I, I'd have to look. I mean, probably similar to Cambridge. Okay. Um, it broken up into just little different components. Um, I think you kind of knew which kids went to which schools, right? Um, I think family names would be a giveaway, and even sometimes how you would spell first names. So, okay. Some, you know, the spelling of Stephen, for example, would be a V with a one and a PH with one. I think Catholic is PH, Protestant was V. So. The names of people would sometimes give things away too. So that might not be much the case anymore, but mm. certainly was when I was growing up and even more so in my, my dad's generation. So, okay. Yeah, you just kind of knew. Okay. If we were to, uh, play, I want you to play travel agent for a moment sure. and you're going to sell us at the church on why we should go <laughs> to Scotland on yeah. a vacation sure. and perhaps spend our money there versus England or yeah. Ireland. Yeah. Why go to Scotland? So I, I've never been to Ireland. So if anyone who is from there, don't take offense, but uh, I can't speak to that. Um, England's certainly worth going to, but, uh, Scotland is, it's one of my favorite places on the planet. I've been to a number of different places in the world. Um, the hills, mountains, beautiful. Uh, there's tons of history there. So if you're interested in that, so you go into Edinburgh and you walk down the Edinburgh Mile, you're walking on cobblestones that kings and queens and, famous uh, philosophers and authors also have walked on. And that's just incredible. Like going to John Knox house and things mm -hmm. like that. So if you're, if you're historically interested, there's tons of that. There's castles you can walk around and poke around in. And there's just beautiful countryside and scenery uh, to, to behold. Um, and it's small, so you can cover a lot of ground, especially if you're from North America. Uh, what's the saying? I think in, in, uh, in Europe, a hundred miles is a long way. In North America, a hundred years is a long time. Well, you flip that. And so if you're used to, you know, traveling, you know, to Toronto for work, you go to Scotland, you can drive a good chunk of the country in your commute time. So you can see a lot in a short space of time. And there's uh, certainly a great variety of things to see. So great people, extremely welcoming and friendly, especially the people who are tourists. And, uh, yeah, lots of history, beautiful scenery. I think that probably sums it up. So. So you mentioned earlier you grew up Catholic or you were raised Catholic. You yeah. went to a, you went to a Catholic school. Yeah, went to a Catholic then? school. Yeah, okay. until I came here uh, to Canada. So like almost all of my schooling was in a, a Roman Catholic school. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you remember reading the Bible as a kid? Do Do you know? Do you like? 
Did you did you learn some biblical stories? Were you baptized as as a Catholic yeah, um, yeah. into the Catholic Church? Yeah. So yeah, I was baptized um, as an infant there, which is something that uh, was extremely meaningful to to my dad, and and I do respect and appreciate that he would uh, take that step and and, and do that, um, even though I've you know since been baptized as a believer in Christ. Um, so yeah, raised in in the the Roman Catholic Church. So baptism, you know, first confession. So the first time you go into the confessional with the, the priest and you confess your sins, all of the grade three class did that on the same day. Like that was, that was an event. And then your first Holy Communion, you would do that shortly thereafter. And so that would be the sort of age at which then you would participate that way in, in the Mass. Uh, and then there was a confirmation in grade seven, which I was not there for because their family was in Spain. I just missed that. Um, and that was probably... My last sort of time, I would really participate in in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, they would sometimes have masses in school during the day, and you were like, you had to go uh, to the mass, and uh, you would have religious studies as well. So one of my religious studies teacher was a, a former nun, and so that was part of uh, the English teacher was a priest in my high school. So there's a ton of in like a crossover between the church and the school in that environment. So. Between going to church fairly regularly up until I was about eight or nine, I heard tons of Bible stories. And so I actually was taught a lot of biblical content um, by the Catholic Church, which then I could sort of recall at a later date. But as certainly, uh, from my experience, there was no individual Bible reading encouraged at all. And uh, even in the home, that wasn't something I think that was encouraged because the priest handled the Word of God. No one else really did. And again, that was my experience. So, yeah, it was uh, confusing at times. I do remember very specifically, so this is going back to, you know, when I was younger, that moment of the sort of first confession, you're getting ready to go into the confessional booth. And I remember thinking very distinctly, I don't understand why I'm doing this. Jesus died for our sins, did he not? Like the crucifix is on the wall in the building I'm in. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, why Why do I have to go and tell a priest the right. sins that I've done? Right. Why can't I tell God the sins that I've done? Because Jesus has died for me. Isn't that what I'm being taught? So mm-hmm. that was an interesting thing. I to And so I was actually very upset. I was mm-hmm. in tears. Going uh, into the Yeah, I was terrified. Terrified okay. to go in. And my dad was like, he was encouraging me and, and just trying to help me. But I was a pretty fearful kid, I think. But I remember, yeah, being the only kid upset about it. Okay. Um, before going into the confessional. and Do you remember what you confessed? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't know if this was the first one. I, I had subsequent times I went to confession. I remember telling a priest that I said some swear words and maybe I was mean to my sister or, you know, I didn't listen to my mom and dad. I think that was sort of the extent of it. I don't remember much more than that, but I do okay. remember very vividly the experience. Okay. Going in and wondering why and I sometimes wonder what was the Lord doing in my heart and mind at that time, even though I maybe wasn't aware of it. Then, mm-hmm. so. Very good. Now, it, Europe is certainly a lot smaller than it is here. Yep. You know, one of the things I've always envied about people who have grown up in Europe or live in Europe, they can just travel anywhere they want um, fairly easily. So you mentioned you went to Spain. Yes. Uh, did you travel around as a as a young kid with, with mom and dad? Uh, where have you been? Uh, not many places. We didn't have a lot of money, like like sort of working class family. Um, Spain. That trip to Spain was a big deal. That was sort of like one of the one of a kind. I have an aunt who lives in England, so I visited several times. School trip to York was a big thing, and you know our, our last year of primary school. Um, I've been to London, um, and you know done some of the tourist things there. But that was really the extent of it because, like I said, didn't have a lot of money. Mom and dad divorced when I was nine. Um, and so that was a part of it. We did do a big family trip to Australia. I actually had my ninth birthday in Australia. And so we were there for, I think, 10 weeks. That was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. My, my parents were thinking about moving there. And so we went for an extended stay just to sort of investigate that. Uh, obviously, that didn't pan out. And so, yeah, that was, uh, so I haven't seen much of Europe, actually. Okay. So you mentioned uh, you went to Australia when you were nine yep. with your family. Yep. They're talking about moving. Sure. But you mentioned that they they got divorced when yeah. you were nine. Sure. So after that, that uh, talk to me about uh, about your parents' divorce. What do you remember of that? Sure. Um, 
it must have been a bit of a shock. Yeah, definitely. I, I didn't see it coming. Um, I, I distinctly remember, so, I mean, this is, you know, getting fairly personal here, but um, I distinctly remember when my parents told me that mm. they, didn't, they didn't love one another anymore. Mm. I remember the color of the couch. And I remember mm. where I was sitting in the room. I remember how I was sitting. I remember where my mom and dad were. And I think that just shows the intensity of that experience mm -hmm. and the challenge that that experience can be on children who go through uh, that in their home. So I do remember that, um, and that was a, that was a, that was extremely difficult. That it's like I've always likened it to just imagine the floor right now opened up underneath you, mm -hmm. and you just are falling, free falling mm -hmm. to who knows what. That's kind of what it feels like. And uh, I have a good relationship with my mom and my dad. They they were they did everything that they could mm. um, to 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 help my sister and I um, go through that experience. And so there were some definitely some very difficult moments. Um, it really made me sort of question everything. And uh, you know, I don't know if if people listening to this who have gone through that experience a long for a long time. I basically thought everything was my fault. Mm. even though mom and dad it's not your fault it's nothing to do with you it's not your fault it just felt like it was mm. and so it took me an awful long time it went well into my teen years and actually even uh like after my conversion mm. actually really come to terms with that no it wasn't my fault it didn't mm. have anything to do with me but it really rocks your world and so you know that sent me in some not good directions through my teen years for sure um, and so I, there was a lot of wrestling and, you know, tears and pain and I won't get into it all now, but it's interesting. I just recently read an article, um, about, I think it's a book and some research is being done now that sort of the adults of that generation are now that they're adults, the children of that generation, now that they're adults, they're beginning to speak about the effects of divorce upon them. And so the book or the article, something along the lines of, you know, Adult children of divorce find their voice, mm. and it's it's helpful because you know kids are resilient; they'll get over it. I don't think that actually is the truth. Mm. I think it takes a long time uh, to wrestle through that, and even as you begin to experience first for your own. So I got married; it's still right there. My, mm -hmm. my mom and dad are not together, and then all of a sudden I understand what it is to love my wife. Then mm. you become a father, and all of a sudden you begin to understand. Well, this is what it feels like to love my child. Mm. And then you begin to rethink your memories and they sort of recolor and you think, huh, there's some stuff I think I need to work through here because um, I understand things now as an adult. And so you have to recolor that. And mm. uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a lifelong thing in some respects. I, I, I can talk about it openly and I'm happy to. But uh, yeah, there's still still some tender sparked parts there. I think for sure. sure. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. I mean, often we think that uh, you know kids are resilient and they sure. forget, and then sort of when you you grow up and you grow you can grow grow up and grow out sure. uh, of that, and, and it, it just it just lingers on uh, for a very long time, and it's so, it's so good to talk about it yeah. and think through these things. And so so I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's really good. So now. Mom and dad sit you down. Yep. They they tell you, you know, we don't love each other. Sure. Now, who moves out? Where do you? What house do you live at? Yeah, so I I stay with my, my sister and I stay with mom, um, and that was for a period of time. And then I just became very unsettled, and, and there was a, a a sort of crisis point for me where I decided I was going to move in with my dad, who had just recently remarried. My stepmom's a champ; like she just she marries my dad. And all of a sudden, she's got this teenager now living in the house too, and so she's she's always been so good, and and uh, my mom's husband has as well. He's known me since I was like five, and so I have good relationships with with everyone, and, and I'm, I'm glad for that. So yeah, I live with mom for a while, then live with dad, and that's how I really wound up in Canada because okay. my dad applied for a job here with Rim BlackBerry okay. when they were just sort of really getting going, and uh, we came over here and. I came with my dad, and here we are. Okay, so you were how old then when you moved to Canada? 
So 15, uh, okay. turned 16 five days after I landed in Canada. Okay. And uh, man, oh man, what a, what a whirlwind that was. <laughs> How was that conversation? I mean, you, you, you would have friends in Scotland. Sure. You know, you're, you're in your formative years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, dad comes to you and says, hey, I, I applied to uh, sure. this company called RIM. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move there shortly and you're coming with us. Yeah, it was always, my dad was great. He, uh, he said, if anyone has any hesitancy about this, it's a no deal. It's a no go. Like, we'll just, the conversation ends now. So we were, uh, I was, I was interested. Um, I, I, I didn't know it would be as hard as it was, but I also didn't realize it would be as valuable as it was either. Mm. So tons of lessons learned from, from leaving the country. So yeah, you leave behind everything that you've known. And yeah, you, you leave friendships and things like that and family. And uh, the hardest was my mom, my stepdad, my brother, my sister. Mm. That was the hardest part. Um, sometimes I wonder, like, what was I thinking? Why did I, you're, you're kind of stuck, right? You have to choose. Do I stay and say goodbye to one or do you go and say goodbye to the other? Like, that's just an impossible scenario. And so I don't really, I, I don't know. It's just, that's what happened. <laughs> okay. That's Providence. Uh, looking back at it now, but, um, when I left, there was, it was really actually a, a, an interesting moment because it was the end of my fourth year of high school. And the system there is that you do your exams at the end of fourth year of high school, and then you can either go back to school or you go into the workforce. And so I actually laughed at, a, at not a bad time. So it was kind of like a, and then I did a couple more years of high school here. But yeah, it was painful, definitely, to, to leave behind family, friends, everything that you had known and come to a place I'd never been before. So you're, uh, thankfully you spoke the language. So you're 17, sort of so an awkward. I spoke the language, <laughs> but I may as well not have because literally people could not understand a word that was coming out of my mouth. Is that mind. right? I think that's why I don't have a strong accent anymore. I had to dial it way down so that people could just understand what I was saying. And so, yeah, I spoke the language, but there was a lot of things that were different. Now, did you practice? Like, did you go home and say words that were, can, you know, so they sounded Canadian? And did you, how did you try to lose that accent? I don't think so. I, I probably slowed down and maybe stopped using a whole bunch of words that were like sort of colloquial. Um, and uh, I think it was just gradual over time. I just was trying to blend in. I didn't, I don't really like to stand out. I was trying to blend in. And that was one of the ways that I would do that because all the, all the kids in high school were like, say something. We want to hear your accent. Say something. And it drove me crazy. So I was just like, I, all right, I got to, I got to shut this thing down. So did, um, did, did Canadian kids, if you will, what, what high school did you go to? Uh, I went to Grand River High School in Kitchener. Okay. Yeah. Did, were you generally accepted? Did people like you? Oh, yeah. Um, was it hard to find friends? Uh, were you bullied at all in high school then? No, it was, it was hard at first. Like those first few weeks of knowing no one and just wandering around by yourself. Like that's an awful memory. Like that was really tough. Didn't like that at all. But, uh, yeah, there were some people who were very kind and sort of welcomed me into the friend group. And, uh, so that was helpful. And really as much as I didn't like standing out because of the accent, it was like an instant people would warm up to you because I was the only Scottish kid in the whole school. So. I was the Scottish kid, and so people would talk to me. <laughs> eventually, yeah, I'd find my my place uh, in in groups of friends, and, and it worked out well. So. Were you a good student? I've seen some of your grades now at uh, at Heritage. I've seen some of your seminary grades. They're they're <laughs> they're top notch. Uh, were you always a good student? Did you always get good grades, or did, did, is that uh, yeah. happen later in life? Yeah, I've always been, I guess, internally driven. Um, got good grades in those exams that I mentioned in school in Scotland before I left. And, uh, yeah, I like to, I like to learn, like to read. Uh, my mom gave me a gift of loving, of reading ever since I was young. Uh, I think it's one of the best gifts that she's given to me. And so that served me well for many, many years now. So yeah, I like, I like to, I like the past. I like studying. I like reading. I'm good with that. Okay. So you're a, a student, Grand River in Kitchener. Yeah. How did you ever, uh, come to, Hasbro Baptist Church? That is a good question. So I ran for a position on student council my second year of high school in Kitchener. And um I was I was I didn't I didn't make it. I didn't get so I didn't get this is why this is grade twelve. So this would be in grade twelve. So I was the grade twelve OAC year at the same time. Okay. So I was all over the map because I was okay. schooling. I had like a grade twelve, grade thirteen, grade ten, like all it was it was crazy. And were you behind or were you ahead? Uh, I had and some behind and others. Okay. I could have graduated at sixteen if I wanted to. Like I could have done one year and graduated and I would have been I would have been sixteen, but I just didn't want to be mm. done in school. I yeah. was too too young. 
So I stuck it out for another year. And uh, so, yeah, I ended up uh, trying to run for a school council because I had a friend who wanted to stack it with all of our group. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't get end up getting, you know, voted in. But they gave me a sort of like member at large position. Okay. And the other person, and that one of the other person, the other person who was given that same role was my wife. Okay. So we met in high school at 17. We were serving together on student council. And what I thought was going to be the beginning of a dating relationship, she invited me to church. And I'm thinking, this, like, <laughs> that's the end of this relationship. This is never gonna, never gonna fly. Yeah. Because I had a lot of issues with church as I'd grown up. Um, I was very jaded. Mm. I, I threw away a copy of the scriptures that was given out once in our school because I just didn't want to have it in my pocket. Mm. I was kicking a ball around. I threw it over the fence to the horror of my friend throwing away a copy of the mm. Bible. And I just, I didn't care. It's like, nah, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. So she invites me to church and I'm thinking, there's not a chance. For some reason I went. And I was blown away and instantly. I, I, we came to Hesper. Like that's where okay. her family was attending. Okay. So she invited me to church, the Hesper Baptist Church. And uh, I was blown away by all of the differences between what my experience was in the Roman Catholic Church versus what um, what I saw and heard that day. Okay. And so that was really significant. And so part of me was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to come back. And I would try and tell me, tell her family, no, you don't have to come get me today. I'm, I'm good. And they would okay. show up anyway and <laughs> bring me to church. And over time, being around God's people, who I've always said were the fragrant aroma of Christ to me. The people mm. of Hesper were the fragrant aroma mm. of Christ to me. Uh, seeing her family uh, intact mm. was very compelling to me because of the uh, experience mm. that I had. And then the genuine interest that the people of the church seemed to have in me mm. and the lack of hypocrisy. Mm. Didn't see it. These people actually really seemed to believe what they said and they had a joy or peace about them that I knew I didn't have, I didn't know what it was, but I sure wanted it. Mm. And so the longer I spent at Hespler, that was December, I forget what year, I was 17 at the time, and by the following spring, I had made a profession of faith uh, in Christ. So, wow, that's fast. Yeah, it was just so compelling. Yeah, so praise compelling. God. Yeah, yeah, for praise sure. Praise God. Um, for those who, who, who go to a church for a long time, sometimes we'll forget what it's like to be a new person <laughs> totally. at church. Yeah. Uh, do you remember, do you remember anything that, that stood out to you as being odd? You know, uh, that, that you would look back now and be like, oh, that's totally normal. Uh, but at the time you're like, man, like, what are these people doing standing up and singing, uh, as if it's some sort of big sure. group karaoke? Uh, um, anything? Nothing really. If anything, actually, it was a whole lot less liturgical than the Catholic experience that I had. Okay. So I think what stood out to me was, why is there no crucifix? Why is there no kneeling? Why is there no incense? Why are these other things not here? That's what I had known. So I think those are the questions that I was sort of, that were coming into my head at the time. But yeah, I do remember sitting thinking people were weird to sing. I used to hold the hymn book and, you know, read the music as something else to do as people were singing. And mm. I used to think that Christians were morons. I couldn't believe that this number of this many people would actually believe and sing these things. Mm. Like these are the thoughts I had in the church service. Um, and so I, I just was, I was very, very antagonistic internally, although I was respectful outwardly, I think. But, uh, Meredith's family put up with a lot with me, I think, and other people did. Like I, you know, I remember cursing fairly loudly in the church auditorium one. I didn't even think anything about it. And mm. like, they're like, kind of like, oh, you can see the, the pain <laughs> on their faces. You know, I'm, I'm saying things that I shouldn't say. Oh. Um, but they were just gracious and patient. Okay. And, um, and I think what really started to wear me down, or not wear me down, that's probably not the right way to put it. But I used to, so I used to think Christians were dumb, like mm -hmm. just putting it bluntly. Mm -hmm. And then I remember um, Greg Pallas was the pastor at the time, and he quoted in a sermon one Sunday, Blaise Pascal. Okay. Now, I knew who Pascal was because I was studying I, algebra, Pascal's triangle. He yeah. was a mathematician. He was a philosopher, too. But he quoted Pascal, and I realized, wait, Pascal was a Christian? Mm. This man was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And he's a Christian. So that, that eradicated my Christians are stupid, mm. you know, preconceived notion. And I, so that, that was one, I, I think, really surprising moment to me. Like, oh, that doesn't fit my paradigm. 
maybe maybe there's something wrong with what I'm thinking. Mm. And so that that was sort of a long that began a, a several months of deep inquiry and questioning. And so yeah, take t- walk walk us through that a little bit. So I mean, you come in December. Yeah. And you're saved sure. in the spring. Sure. Uh, obviously, I mean, you did, you probably didn't have a copy of the scriptures. Uh, and there's no, there's no phones, uh, with copies of the scriptures on them. So, so does somebody give you a Bible? How did you start down that, um, that process of going from virtually knowing nothing about, um, evangelicalism, Christianity to, you know, saying, I want to repent of my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Good question. I, I think if I go back to when I came to Canada, you're removed from your, from your environment of everything that you've known. And so all you're left with is yourself. And that wasn't really that enjoyable of a prospect for me. So we came to Canada at the end of the, like in June, it was, um, and high school had just gone out. So I wasn't getting into like Canadian culture at all. My dad was working hard as this, this new job. My, my stepmom and I were just trying to figure out how to like, what does this mean for us? And, and so, I probably read maybe 15 to 20 books that summer wow. of mostly fantasy because that's what I like to read. And I would, I remember pulling things out of those books mm. of things that were like meaningful or like, Oh yeah, sure. That's something that I can use or, and so I was looking desperately for meaning for a purpose. Like what mm. is life all about? Because mm. I'm not just going on with my normal life unthinkingly because my world just got changed radically. And so I think that that really set the stage for, you know, just a hungering and thirsting. Why am I here? Or what's the point of life? And then my second year of high school here, I was deeply uh, asking those questions. Like, why am I even studying? What's the point? Like, I just, what's the meaning? And I remember even voicing some of those things out loud uh, to my dad and just like, why am I doing this? What's mm-hmm. the point? Like, so all of that was going on in my heart and mind. I was looking for something to build my life on. I just didn't know what. And so I would, I would spend a lot of time in the library. I would get books by philosophers and mathematicians and mm. all sorts of thinkers. And just, I was trying to land somewhere. Mm. And then all of a sudden I wind up in a church and these people seem like they have what it is that I'm looking for. Mm. And so I started paying attention and listening. And, um, in God's providence, I, I, it's going to make me sound, I don't know if this makes me sound like a nerd or a loser. Um, I'm probably already sound like a nerd anyway, but I had a poem on my wall called Desiderata. Some people might know it. Um, and it has, uh, it, it go placidly amid the noise and the haze, finding what peace there may be in silence and all these types of things. And one day in church, there was a responsive reading from Romans chapter 12. And incredibly, Romans chapter 12, uh, that poem seems to be based on some of Romans chapter 12. Mm. And I'm thinking, okay, that is a poem I have on my wall, mm. and this is in the Bible? I blew my mind. Mm. And so I remember that night in particular, I actually think I participated in that reading. Mm. And that was a significant moment. And that night, we actually had a Catholic Bible on our shelves that we had brought all the way from mm. Scotland. And I took it off the shelf, and I read Romans 12 maybe a hundred times. Wow. And so that was when the word of God, I think, began, I began to realize, or it began to be alive to me. And I realized there's something here. Mm. And so from that moment on, I think I started listening differently. Um, and, uh, and I just realized, you know, yeah, I think this is, this is what I've been looking for. Okay. Um, and so there was an invitation given one Sunday morning and, uh, it was, it was as though it was like, this is the moment. Are you going to serve me? Like, are you, am I going to serve God mm. or am I not? And it was just, it just felt like one of those moments of like, this is, this is it's decision time. What are you going to do? Mm. And so again, by God's grace, I, I indicated my interest. One of the elders came up to me and he led me through a prayer of salvation. Mm. Um, he explained the gospel to me and actually, you know, we got to the end of that and he said, would you like to put your trust in Christ? And I remember thinking, I think I already have. Mm. And so, you know, I think that was the moment when I became a Christian and, so you're se- you're what seventeen years old, yeah, eighteen seven, years old at yeah, that point, just shy of eighteen. Okay, yeah. you're yeah. still in high school. You're now uh, just about to be finished. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was that like having to go back to your, your group of friends who were presumably non-Christian? Yep. Yeah. Um, 
they, they you know they they know you sure. um, as a non Christian guy. Yeah. They they yeah. probably know you're you're sort of dabbling into oh, yeah. church, yeah. Um, yeah. asking different questions. How did that conversation go? Uh, you go back to the boys and you sure. say, "Hey guys, uh, I put my faith in Christ." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't go very well. I pretty much lost all my friends. Okay. Um, as a uh, as a result of that uh, decision, and um, they uh, Meredith uh, obviously she was a Christian and they knew that and actually previously like they'd given her a rough time hmm. and I mean to my shame I just I didn't even stick up for her um, and so I already knew what they thought about Christianity hmm. they were pretty mocking towards it and so yeah I become a Christian and it was pretty I I, I made some missteps I'm sure um, but uh, yeah. All those friends were pretty much gone. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, you're near the end of high school anyways, I suppose. Sure. So, so you graduate. Uh, what did you do after What did you do after high school? So I actually couldn't do anything for a while because I was only here on a student visa. And so we were waiting on our permanent resident okay. status coming. So I couldn't work. I actually I couldn't even volunteer. All mm-hmm. I could do was study. <laughs> I had no money. And there wasn't a lot to go around, and so I w- and I wasn't going to pay international student fees, mm. which <laughs> to go to university. Yeah. So actually, after I graduated high school, we went to serve at uh, Pleasant Bay Camp for a few weeks, Meredith and I, in the kitchen. Okay. Um, and then after that, I those were months of like boredom and just mm. uh, I'm I'm just stuck. But by God, I, in God's providence, I read a whole lot. I read the Bible. Um, I, uh, I read other books from our church library, um, that I was, that were interesting to me. And I really think that God gave me that space to just begin to grow in my faith. So Meredith and I spent a lot of time together mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time with her family, time with the church, serving, you know, just being around God's people. And those were sort of formative discipleship or discipling experiences for me. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when you got married? When did you propose? So we had a long engagement because our family overseas and we wanted them to know that was seri- we were serious. So you got to start saving to come. Mm-hmm. So um, we, uh, when we got engaged, I was 19. I think Meredith was only 18 at the time. So we were very young. And we got married when we were 20. Wow. Yeah. So we've been married for 15 years. Wow. In May 2021 at the time of this recording. Okay, that's coming up. It's coming up. That's good. That's right. Okay, so uh, now were you already in, so uh, obviously I, I believe you went to Heritage College and Seminary yeah. through, for for college. I and, did. And yeah. seminary. So are you? How old were you when you went there? Are you already married when you started college? Uh, no. So I actually I didn't know that Bible colleges existed. This is how ignorant I am, right? I know nothing okay. <laughs> of uh, evangelicalism. And one of the elders at the church at the time started discipling me. I had no idea what he was doing, but obviously he did. What was and he discipling you in? I, he was just, I, I would go landscape with him. He okay. had a landscaping business, and so he would invite me to go landscaping with him. And so I would do that on Saturdays, and he, we would just talk about faith and life. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was just, you know, he would spend, I would spend time around him. And one of the jobs that he had was heritage. Mm-hmm. So I was landscaping with this guy, watching students go to class with a Bible under their arms, and I'm like, you can do this for school? Like, you can actually go study the Bible? I was so jealous of those students. Mm. I was like, I want to do that. And so, uh, as soon as I was able, uh, after we got sort of permanent resident status, um, I, I started attending Heritage. Okay. Did, so, did you feel called to ministry at that point? Or, or like, are you thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, that's what I want to do with sure. my life. Uh, or were you just going because... It was just sort of the, a, a good thing to do, and it gave you an opportunity to study the Bible that you were uh, yeah. longing to learn about. Good question. I, I actually think there was more of a vocational aspect to it at the beginning. And I've heard it, people jokingly say that Catholics make the best Christians because they're so laden with guilt mm-hmm. from the Catholic Church that uh, <laughs> then you just want to do everything you can uh, in service to God. But um, I, I, when I really... Again, by God's grace, understood what it is that Jesus had done for me and what God in his love had done. I, the, my conclusion was, I can't do anything but give my whole life to this. Mm. Like, it just, to me, it just seemed like there's no other choice. And because of the challenges I had had in my own life, I thought, 
maybe those experiences can be used for the benefit of helping others who have gone through similar experiences as well. So I think both of those things combined drew me in to thinking about maybe I could be in ministry at some point. And early on, I, I began asking the questions of the pastor of the church at the time. How did you know that you were to be a pastor? And I just, I was just full of questions. I mm. still am. I probably mm. thought some people nuts. But uh, I think he just began to realize like, oh, and he started discipling. He gave me some of his time. We would meet weekly. And, and so I went to Heritage um, and uh, just was delighted to be able to study and thinking, Maybe there's something I can do to help mm. people um, the way that these people at Hespler helped me. Mm. And I, I should go and study. And so over time, I, I think that became clear to, clear to me and with the encouragement of the church and the elders and professors, mm. I called the ministry something that was internal in me for sure, but I think was um, identified externally by God's people. And so... That's that's what happened. So I, I went there for college. Yeah. Okay. So how did you end up becoming a pastor at Hasper Baptist Church? So uh, before I graduated, uh, before I graduated, uh, the church was beginning to look for an associate pastor, and I applied for the position. Um, now other people on the other side of things might have a different. They might see this differently. So of I'm telling you my perspective. Okay. Um, so I applied for the position. I'm totally like wet behind the ears, right? Like I, I had no experience. Um, I applied for this position and, um, I think that the, the conclusion was like, am I even really ready for this? Mm. And so uh, it seems to me that an adjustment was made on behalf, on the part of the sort of church and leadership. And I was offered an internship a one-year internship okay. as a pastoral assistant. Okay. So the pastor at the time had been reading The Deliberate Church by Mark Dever. Okay. And that book talks about that, this concept of a pastoral assistant. And so I came in at uh, 30 hours a week. This was in 2008. 30 hours a week, I was finishing up my, my, my school. I graduated in 2009, so I had a little bit left to do. And so in, in 2008, they, uh, they took me on in a 12-month deal. Okay. Um, Interesting, funny story. The, the, the Sunday that the church was going to vote, there was a snowstorm. Hmm. Church wasn't canceled, but barely anyone showed up. So they had to postpone the members meeting to the following Sunday or the Sunday after. So I'm thinking like, okay, I'll know that if this is going to happen or not today. And no, that got delayed. And so I was like, oh, well, that was a funny experience. But, uh, so that year went really well by God's grace. And then the church offered to take me on full time, uh, the following year. So I, I, I started serving full-time as an associate pastor in 2009, and I've been here ever since. Okay. When did you, how long have you been the lead pastor of Pastor Baptist? So I believe it was 2013 when the former lead pastor, Greg Pattis, uh, God's leading of he and his wife elsewhere, so he stepped on. And, um, and so, again, it was, another, it was a moment where um, for... My wife and I, and for the church, it was a moment, okay, am I ready for this? Mm -hmm. And do we want this? Mm -hmm. Did Meredith and I want this? And are, are we ready? And so um, I was willing to serve in that role. But I, that was a, I served in the role for a, an interim year as lead pastor. Okay. And that was, a, that was for evaluation purposes, for ourselves and also for the church. And uh, Ernest Kennedy uh, came in at that time on a part-time basis. And uh, and Roger was there as well. Roger Pascal okay. was there. He started at the same time as I did, um, back in uh, the late two thousand, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And so I served in that role in an interim way. And you know, God was very gracious in that year. Um, we were comfortable. My mm -hmm. wife and I were comfortable mm -hmm. to 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 um, let our name stand, like to be willing to serve in that role. And uh, the leadership at the time, the elders at the time, were as well. And that's what the church decided. And so I've been serving in that role without that interim sort of uh, okay. component since then. So. Okay. Uh, you've obviously, you'd probably say you've grown as a pastor uh, <laughs> from then until now. Totally. If you could talk to yourself in 2013, uh, what lesson would you tell a young 
uh, pastor of a new church, and you were under thirty. I mean, you were yeah. you were not only yeah. Yeah. A, a, a new pastor, but you were a young pastor. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. what would you yeah. what would you tell yourself? Um, I would say that you should listen even more and press in even more to the men who have more experience and maturity around mm-hmm. you than, than you did. Like that was those those men's lives were like invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If I didn't have that, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. Like God, I think God was so kind to me in providing me people who would let me figure myself out, mm-hmm. um, so that I wouldn't make the mistake. I, I've made mistakes and I've I've sinned, and, and there's no question about that. But I think I would have made a boatload more had it not been for mm-hmm. those men that I could just bounce off and they can just sort of watch and observe and. And let me sort of wade into the ministry pool. Mm. Um, I think that everyone should have that. I don't want to absolutize that. That's a, uh, I'll let me back that up. I think that'd be a very wise thing mm. to do. Um, the other thing I think I would say to myself is going to be harder than you think. Ah. It's going to be hard. It yeah. is hard. Yeah. It's worthwhile. It's not a complaint. I, I, I'm not going to give up what I'm doing mm. at all. Um, but it's hard. Mm. And so, uh, you just need to know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. Uh, one of the things that uh, seems to have come up as a, as a theme uh, in your story is just that role of mentor, that, yes. that person who is older than you, whether it be the, the elder who said, hey, hey, young man, let's go out and do some landscaping together. Yeah. Yeah. And he's talking to you and sharing the scriptures with you and just being a guide for you. Yeah. Or, or those older folks um, who were just more advanced in, in yep. their Christian journey, yep. uh, the ministry than you to speak into your life. Uh, that's just so, it's so important for those older folks to speak yep. into younger lives. Maybe we have, maybe there's some folks listening right now yep. who have a wealth of experience or who have journeyed, have, have learned some of those painful lessons um, sure. of a Christian life. Sure. Or, and and just life for yeah. that matter. Yeah. How would you uh, encourage, or what would you say to some of those folks? How do they get involved? How how would they have approached a seventeen year old Sean Sheeran sure. uh, and help them just form their uh, worldview? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I I think from my own experience, it was it was uh, a matter of of willingness to spend time. Hmm. Right. So an, an openness, there's room, make room in your life and just extend an invitation. Hmm. So however that is, whether it's, you know, if you're, if it's at your dining room table or, hey, I'm, I need to take something into Toronto and I've got an hour in the car, bring someone with you yeah, and then spend two hours with them and just, hmm. and, and talk. And I think that one aspect of it is that I, I think sometimes people maybe think, I, my life has to be successful. I have to be good at everything. Mm. I have to, there's the, I've learned a lot from people being open to me about their failures mm. and things that they learned not from success, but from failure. And so those are, those are really important teachable moments as well. So, but I, I just really admire and, and appreciate, you know, beyond the formal mentorship or beyond leadership, but names and faces I can recall who would just even take a little bit of time on a Sunday morning mm. when churches gathered to come over and impart some advice mm. or, you know, encourage you with something or, you know, at, at the time of recording this, you know, George Smedendorf just mm. recently went to be with the Lord and he's one of the first guys I ever remember talking to me at the church. And he's just years older than me. Yeah. And I know you would say the same thing about yeah. him as well. Mm-hmm. And so people like that, and there are many like them, and some of them have gone home and some of them will go home soon. And mm. I'm going to find that personally really difficult because yeah. these are the people who God used in my life that, to, that I would become a Christian. And so uh, you, I, I'm glad you're highlighting this or, or asking for it to be highlighted because you just can't, um, you can't, uh, you just can't imagine the, the, the power and effect of your words, mm. comment, handshake, uh, mm-hmm. And then if you go beyond that, come with me. Yeah. And we're just going to spend some time together. It's no, nothing formal. There's nothing, but it's just, I'm around, you know, you're letting a younger Christian be around you and seeing yeah. how you act, speak, talk to your wife, spend your money, show generosity, 
all those different types of things. Just let people watch you. Yeah, and I'm glad you said younger Christian too. It doesn't always have to be a younger person who's, you know, a younger aged person. Sure. Just somebody who's just younger in the faith. Totally. And, you know, God has just equipped us far better than yeah. we think he has. Totally, yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it can be intimidating. It can be scary to go up to somebody sure. and say, do you want to, you know, like, do you want to go for that drive? Yeah. Hey, I'm going for a walk. I usually do it every Wednesday evening. Sure. Yeah. Would you, would you care to join yeah. me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, when just, just some of those things as the sure. church body reaches out to one another, totally. uh, massive, massive impact very and, quick. And it doesn't matter what it is, like what you don't even have to change what it is that you're doing. I, one of the things I like to do, although not recently, um, is I like to rock climb. Okay. And so that's something that I do and I go to a rock climbing gym and there's been many times I've just called a guy up and said, Hey, I'm going climbing. You want to come with me? I'm still doing the thing that I would do. I'm not adding something into my schedule. I'm just bringing someone along with you. So what do you do? You play hockey? Do you go shoot a bow? Do you fix cars? Are you going to change your oil? Are you going to just open that time up to someone else being there with you? Mm. And I think that's one way that we can simplify discipling people is just by including them in the things that we're doing anyway. I've, I've, (laughs) I've gone right. Yeah. I've done the same thing, running errands and just, Hey, I'm going to do this. If you want mm. some company, you can come with me if you like. We talk along the way. So I think we can do those types of things as well. Yeah, very good. Any uh, any plans to go traveling uh, anytime soon? I guess oh, we're sure. in the in the throes of COVID uh, sure. when we're recording this, so we're possibly far away from that. But uh, any, yeah. tr- any plans? Um, I I don't know how many people got a trip in in 2020. Very few. Very yeah. few. I'm one of the few. <laughs> okay. So we spent three weeks in Australia uh, with my mom, uh, which is where she lives now. And that trip got cut short because of COVID. And I feel like there's, I want to sort of finish what we didn't get to finish. Mm. So I, and I think maybe just because I know I can't travel and I can't go see my family, that, that, that's somewhere I, I certainly, I, I just would like to go with some more time with my mom and, her with her grandkids and mm. my stepdad. So, um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's probably primarily on my mind, but, uh, I haven't been back to Scotland since 2007. It's been a long time. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm, I really long to go back to Scotland to see a lot of my family and, uh, to see what the Lord is doing in the church there, which I had no interest in mm. when I was living there, but now I very much am interested in. Uh, so 20 schemes tugged at my heart all the time. Mm. So I'd love to see what they're doing. And I, uh, I'd love to preach in Scotland sometime. I just, I mean, that sounds like a weird thing, but I just, I, I'd love to do that, um, at some point in my life. But, uh, anyways, the Lord knows those things. So nothing major. But, uh, okay, Sean. Well, we, we started off talking uh, about Scotland and this seems like a good place to sure. end it. Uh, we'll end, uh, on Scotland as well. But Sean, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to, uh, serve alongside you. I'm just so Likewise. thankful to God that, uh, you're the pastor here at Hesler Baptist Church. And we look forward to, um, to seeing what he's going to do and how he's going to use you in the years to come. Amen. And his people as well. So absolutely with you, brother. Thanks for this. Okay. Thanks, Sean.